0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby say Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. All right, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Well, I've, I've been to... I've been to Texas quite a few times in the, in the past month. I've been to Kansas doing a wedding. Congratulations, Leland Oker. It was one of the, the best uh, weddings I've ever been a part of. It was beautiful. I loved it at the end whenever they, uh, uh, they, instead of tying a knot or anything, they put their thumbprint with red ink and signed their names in a Bible. And I'd never done that, but it was really, really cool because it looked like it was signed in blood. And that's why they chose that, because it's till death do they part. And I absolutely loved that. But uh, I've got to go back to Texas next week to bury my stepfather. Thank you for all of the prayers and everything it's 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 a sad day but it wasn't a bad day he's with Jesus we're sad it's we're sad for us that we'll miss him but not sad for him he is he is healed and and everything but uh whenever I was down at the lake whenever I got to go see Jerry for the last time and 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 love on him and he loved on us uh I went to the lake and my brother said, hey man, I'm glad you're going because I bought a couple of new beds and I want you to help me put them together. And I was like, yeah, Great, and so uh, we started putting these beds together, it, you know, and it's a lake house, so he doesn't really have a, the menagerie of tools that you usually have a, at your own shop or something like that. It's just kind of the basics. He's got a drill and a little impact drill and stuff like that, so we're putting these things together, and, and it had one of those little star uh Bolts and everything and like just sitting there trying to twist it because they were really long-winded I was like, oh, this is this is gonna take forever and so I went into his little closet in the uh, Garage and I got an impact and I got this big old drill deal and I come walking in and Jason said What are you doing? I said, well, I'm gonna use this impact to because I'm tired of uh, Twisting that screwdriver and he said he said it won't work And I said why? And he said, well, I I lost a bit. So I thought he meant he lost a little bit. And I was like, well, dude, it's it's right there. And he goes, I know, but I lost the thing it goes in. And I went, you mean like that? (laughs) And he got mad. (laughs) He got real mad. Like he threw a fit and he goes, I cannot believe that. He said, do you know how many times I have thought that you had to have that? I didn't know it would slide in there. He said, how stupid am I? I was like, dude, you're not stupid. You're just not that bright. <laughs> like, he talked about it like we would be fishing. he like, I can't believe that little bit just goes in there. Do you know how long that would have, how much time that would have saved me? Right? Well, I did the same thing, coincidentally, putting a bed together with my father, whenever we worked for the Rocker B Ranch, uh, me and dad were both full-time cowboys out there, and then they opened up the prison in Fort Stockton, which allowed us to move back to our home place and live on our own ranch, and we were putting beds together, and, and these were older beds, and I don't know what you call the bolts or anything, but it was a, it was a long bolt once again, but it had that rounded head, so and it's square so, or circle, so you can't really put a wrench on it or anything to hold it. It was a standard screwdriver, right? And let me tell you what. I don't know what it is, but I can't ever find a standard screwdriver, right? And neither can my dad. And so we're sitting there putting this bed together, and we really need a standard screwdriver. And my dad said, I better have a standard screw Because we're moving into the ranch, so we don't have all of our tools. He goes, I bet I don't have a, a, a standard screwdriver. It's going to make me so mad. And I said, well, Dad, just hang on a second. Just go ahead and do that. And I pulled a quarter out of my pocket and slid it into the deal. And he got mad. He's like, I'm 40 years old and you know I've never thought of doing that? He said, never. Now, you know, y'all, y'all probably already know all this, but I'm sure that there's been something in your past that somebody showed you that just saves a ton of time and a ton of effort, and you're like, so, so simple that you didn't think about it. Here's two of, here's two of my favorites. You know what this is? It's a blowgun, right? Hooks up to an air compressor. Did you know this is the most powerful thing in the world? Guaranteed. How do I know it's the most powerful thing in the world? Have you ever tried to take two five-gallon buckets apart? It's impossible. But you know what you can do? You can hook this up to an air hose, stick it right between, pull the trigger, and it will lift out on its own. It's like magic. (laughs) Strongest thing in the entire universe aside from Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God our Father. Okay? Now, here's the last hack that I'm gonna show you, okay? Now, I'm not saying that this works on every drill, okay? I'm not saying it works on every drill, but here, here's a hack. You know how you you put a drill bit in like that and then you, you kind of close it up? And how many times have you been drilling and suddenly the drill bit stops, right? And you gotta tighten it again? Here's, here's the deal. If you will, uh, when you're tightening that, see I'm turning it this way, you get it as tight as you can and then listen, if you'll turn it one click to the right, it will lock it down and your drill bit will not spin. No way. Right? Come on, no way, guy. Put me on, put me on your channel. Put me on your channel. Did you know that in Luke chapter 17, Jesus gives his disciples a faith hack? It's actually so simple. I will not tell you anything today that you don't already know, but my prayer today is that you'll go, huh, that is so, so simple. And like, in your mind, you're like, I, I should have figured this out a long time ago. So, with that being said, let's look. let's look at, let's look at Luke, let's Luke at Luke 17, Verses 5 and 6, okay? Now, starting in verse 5 of Luke 17, Jesus says, I'm sorry, the apostles said to the Lord, so his disciples are sitting around him, and the apostles said, show us how to increase our faith. Boom! It's time for Jesus to give us a hack, right? Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, and I've already said that I'm probably not going to tell any of you anything that you don't know. You've all heard that verse and everything, but have you ever just sat and thought and listened to what Jesus is actually saying? Jesus tells us that with faith, a little bit goes a real, real long way. He tells us not to worry about the amount of faith because they said, Jesus, show us how to increase our faith. And Jesus has a way of putting things into perspective because they thought that the more faith you had, the better. And Jesus says, no, it's not the amount of faith. It's the potency of it. Just a little bit goes, I mean, you know, if a a gram of poison can kill you, if you take 200 grams, it has the exact same effect. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying. Man, even with the faith as small as a mustard seed, which is the smallest amount possible, it doesn't matter how much is there. It matters that it is there. He's saying that potency is where the power of faith comes in, not in the amount. So basically he's saying, y'all are asking me the wrong question. It's not how to increase our faith. It's how to use our faith effectively. The potency of faith is measured against the doubt that you have. Because Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree to uproot itself, go plant itself in the sea, and it would do it, right? So the potency is not... In regard to the amount of faith, but the presence of doubt in our minds. If you don't believe it will work, guess what? You're right. Get that? If you don't believe it'll work, then you are exactly right because the power. Is there for our taking? And and in Mark eleven, you don't have to turn over there. Just listen. But Jesus tells us about this part in another in another book. But you, and this is Jesus talking. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. He didn't say don't have any doubt in your head. He said, it's deeper than than that had knowledge, he said, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. It will be yours. Now, you have to understand something on this because sometimes that's hard to understand. Okay, because I remember there was a a board member of mine when we very first started, one of our first board members, and uh, she had a daughter that was in a car wreck, and we went to Brighton and we prayed over to this prayed over this woman who had a wife and kids, and uh, she was in a coma, and I prayed over her, and there is no doubt in my there was zero doubt in my mind that she would wake up and be healed. It's probably one of the most powerful uh, feelings. Like, I had zero doubts, and guess what? She never came out of it. So how does that align with, uh, with this? Listen, man, what we prayed was for her healing, and she got it, just not in the way that we had asked for, okay? Just not in the way... That we had asked for so when we pray it's more about the outcome than the method okay because god will never hold anything back from you what you need and so even if you do believe with all your heart that that something will happen and it doesn't happen the way you thought it would something did happen it was just a different method and we haven't seen the results yet okay That, that's the way it is. But listen, when the apostles asked Jesus to show us how to increase our, their faith and, and he tells them it's not the amount that's, that's, uh, important. It's the potency of it, right? That if you believe with all of your heart and don't have any doubt in your heart that it will be done, all of this stuff, right? We have to trust in God's answer every time, even when we don't understand it. All of that though, That's not the hack. That's the setup. That's just the setup. Let me move out of this other way, because we may get Western here. I have been known to climb on this thing. In the very next verse, starting in uh, verse 8, Jesus is still talking. He is still answering the disciples' question on how to increase their faith. And he answers in a way that they don't expect. When a slave comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, let those with ears hear, when a slave comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, oh, come on in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, And stand here and serve me while I eat. After you've been plowing and working sheep all day, you come in, you make my meal, you put on your apron, and you stand by my side, and you serve me until I'm done. Then Jesus says, then you can eat later. And does the master thank the slave for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, we should, you should say, we are unworthy slaves who have simply done our duty. Now, that doesn't sound like that great of a hack to increase your faith, does it? But if you'll listen for about 10 or 15 more minutes, I will tell you, the good news in that statement, and how that one passage right there we are merely unworthy slaves that have merely done our duty. We didn't get thanks for for plowing and, and, and working sheep all day. We didn't get thanks for going in and preparing our master's meal. We didn't get notoriety for standing there with our apron and, and truly serving our master. We are unworthy slaves who have simply done our duty. See, listen, God sent his son to die for you on the cross, and the result of that death is forgiveness of sins, right? He was punished for your sins and my sins and the person in front of you and behind you. The whole world's sins. Jesus was punished. The result of this is forgiveness of your sins and this forgiveness will culminate in eternal life for you without pain or suffering, okay? Now, let me ask you, If we truly, truly believe that, number one, Jesus took the punishment, if you were on trial and the sentence was going to be death and somebody walked in and said, you know what, set them free, I'll take that death penalty for them, what would you do for that person? What would you do for his family? That would be a life-changing experience. Now, I'm going to tell the story that I've said before, and I was really kind of amazed at, at all the feedback I got, but, but let, me, let me put it to you this way. There was a family that pulled into their driveway, and the mom and dad went inside, and the uh, two kids were playing soccer out in the front yard, and they kicked the soccer ball, and it went past one of the little kids, and it went out into the street, And that little boy went to run get it, but he went right in front of a parked car on the street, and here comes a big truck coming down the road. The kid doesn't see the truck. The truck isn't going to be able to see the kid, but right across the street is an old man and his about 33-year-old son. They were standing there watching these kids play, and they see what's about to happen. And the father tells the son go save him. And the son never hesitates, takes off at a dead run, and he doesn't have time to get both of them out of the way. So what does he do? He shoves the little kid out of the way, and the truck hits the son and kills him. And the father and the mother watch this happen of watching a father sacrifice his son so that their son might live. What would be your reaction to your neighbor now? Because you go over as he sees his son dead and bloody and broken. And they walk up and everybody's crying and, and the mother and father look at the old man and say, my gosh, how can we ever ever repay you for sacrificing your son to save my son. And you know what he says? Would you come visit me at least once a week? If you see me, would you talk to me? When I cross your mind, would you, would you come visit with me or give me a call? And more than that, if you really want to know what would make me happy, it's for me to be able to adopt your family, and I would like to take care of you. We, I would like to feed y'all. I would like to clothe you. I would like to sh- put shelter over your head. And the father's like, this, this makes no sense. You sacrificed your son to save my son, and now this is all you ask in return? And he says, as a matter of fact, you can live in my house forever. How would you react? to that statement. Would you say, <laughs> that's too much to ask, man, because you know what? Listen, I'm all for thanking you, old man, but I've got something else to do on Sundays, right? I've got something else to do and, you know, uh, I know you want me to be a, a, a better person than I am now without condemnation, but you think I'm capable of more than I am? Well, I'm not interested in getting better, right? It, it's... it's <laughs> It's asinine, right? That we would say that. But that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. But God sent his son to die for you on the cross and the result is forgiveness of your sins and will culminate in eternal life without any more pain or suffering. But, but listen, let me put that in cowboy terms. God has already given you more than you deserve. And quite frankly, he doesn't owe us anything else, does he? But yet he still takes care of us on top of the best thing that we could ever ask for. I'm waving at Ruby. She was waving at me. Um, or that's why I'm going to take it. Um, but God doesn't, I mean, like, think about that. Like, he has given us more than we can ever, ever, ever deserve. And if he gives us anything on top of it, it's like the prodigal son's father. You know, he, he, we run off and we come back and, and he gives us the ring and he butchers the fattened calf and puts a robe on him. His, his grace and his mercy and his love for us is unending. But listen, just like Paul says, Paul says, while we are All of these things, we are co-heirs with Christ, right? We are ambassadors for Christ. But what else are we? We are slaves to Christ. And see, it's easy to to love a God that, that adopts you, right? And now you have all the benefits. I mean, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has accepted us and adopted us for all time. I mean, that, that is part of who we are. We represent Jesus in everywhere we go. That's easy too, or, you know, to a certain extent to understand. But have we ever truly grasped what it means to be a slave to Christ, right? Let me read that again. When a slave comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the slave for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, and this is a direct response to his apostles asking how they can increase their faith. And I don't think there's a single one of us in here today that is not here that does not want to increase our faith. Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants or slaves who have simply done our duty. See, we are slaves to him, and slaves don't demand more or question their master. I mean, think about it. What does a slave do? What he is told to do. And didn't Jesus tell us how to live our lives? Of course he did. And, and I think that too many people have lost sight of the fact they're okay with, their, with Jesus being their Savior right? They're okay with Jesus being their Lord and walking on water and saving people. But are you okay with merely saying, you know what, if I don't get anything else, what Jesus has already given me, he wrote my name in the book of life. And if he never gave me anything else, as long as I live, It's more than I deserve and I will give my life to him. Because I think that we tell people, we say all the time, I've given my life to Christ. Then you are a slave to him. You are a slave to him. Here's how knowing that you're a slave is a hack that can literally change your life. This, I read this when y'all were listening to Mitch preach last weekend. I was in a hotel room in Greensburg, Kansas at about 6.30 a.m. reading my Bible and I read this and my life has dramatically changed in one week. In one week. Nobody would be able to see the change but the change happened in here. Because for somebody that has paraphrased every word of the New Testament, I still find new things. Why? Because I'm a different person than I was when I paraphrased that back then. And you are a new person. You're a different person today than you were yesterday. And the Bible is a living thing. It's the living word of God. New things will always be revealed to us. Here's how knowing that you're a slave and acting as such is a hack that can literally change your life starting right now. Here it is. It's the hack that frees you from worry. It's the hack that will can completely remove all worry from your life. See, slaves don't worry about food, shelter, clothing, Or other problems that the master, because it's a relationship. The master says, you do whatever I tell you to do, however I tell you to do it, whenever I tell you to do it. And in return, I'm going to give you food, clothing, and shelter. That's it. Right And didn't Jesus say, man, I clothe the flowers of the field and aren't you more important than flowers? I provide food for the birds and the animals and aren't y'all worth one million times more than birds and animals? I will clothe you. I will give you shelter like a mother hen protects her chicks. That is the trade-off between a master and a slave. But yet you know what you do? You know what I do? We worry. We worry about our food. We worry about our clothing. We worry about our house payment. We worry about all of these things that the master said you don't have to worry about. I will take care of you. And I've never not seen it happen. I've never not seen it happen. As a matter of fact, When I moved up here to start Save the Cowboy, I took a six-figure pay cut, and I still had six-figure bills, and I've never been happier. I've never made this amount of money since I was sacking groceries, basically, the equivalent of sacking groceries, and I've never been happier, and I've never had more. Because God is faithful in what he does. He has told me, you are a slave of mine. You go to Colorado and you proclaim me. You proclaim the good news. You teach people how to follow me and Kevin, I will take care of you. And he's making the same promise to each and every one of you today. It's the hack that frees you from worry. That's the master's job, not yours, Right? That's the master's job to worry about food and clothing and shelter. What is our job? To do what he asks us to do. It's the hack that frees you from worry, but it's also the hack that puts pride in its rightful place. It puts pride in its rightful place because we are just slaves, we are the lowest. The slave is the lowest of the, of the socioeconomic strata, right? We are merely slaves, right? Where's the pride in that? When you just, and, and Jesus tells us all the time to do this. He says, hey man, when you go to, and when you're invited to a feast, go sit in the very, very back as far away from the uh, host as you can. Because he may walk in and say, you know what, you're not going to sit way down there. Come on, get up here by me. And he's going to sit us here, which is much better than you assuming that you are something or that I am something that I'm not. And I go take a seat and then the master has to come up and say, hey man, you're in somebody's seat. You go sit way down there. He must become more. I must become less. There is so much power in that statement right there that it has the power to change your lives. It has the power. We are just slaves. We're the lowest of the socioeconomic structure. Listen, slaves have no need for success. Right? Success merely means doing what the master told you to do. We have no need for success. We have no need for ambition because there's nowhere to go, right? You're a slave. If you get a promotion, it's to slave, right? We have no need for success, ambition, greed. We don't get paid for what we do, right? we have something more valuable than wages. How about conceit? How can you be conceited as a slave, right? It just doesn't work, it doesn't go together. It's like pumpkin and spice, it just doesn't go together, right? It's like baby fingernails, coconut, with anything existing. How about this? Slaves have no need for success, ambition, greed, conceit, or even status. But yet, all the time we struggle with those things as humans. You know who doesn't struggle with those things? Slaves. Me standing on this stage, and and I guarantee you, everybody else that has ever stood on this stage, if they have any of those things, ambition, greed, Conceit or thinking that they're above somebody when I step onto this this stage I have made myself a slave to Christ to serve y'all Because when you go up in the kingdom you go down And then one day you will be lifted back up It's the hack that frees you from worry It's the hack that puts pride in its rightful place See slaves don't have to fret over hard decisions, do they? What is their decision? Got to go do what the master tells me. Got to get up in the morning, whatever, you know, at the butt crack of dawn, whatever it is, and work till, work till midnight. Whatever the boss says, man, we do. There ain't time for fretting over, well, is the master going to do this or that? Man, the master's going to do what the master's going to do, and we're going to do what he tells us to do. We don't have to sit there and overthink everything. You know what you need to think about as a slave to Jesus Christ is doing what he told us to do. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. It's not rocket math, right? Do what the master tells you to do. It's the hack that frees you from worry. It's the hack that puts pride in its rightful place. And it's the hack that simplifies everything in your life. It's the hack that simplifies everything. You love others and the master will take care of you. See, I've been telling you all along, you do what the master tells you to do. And what did he tell us to do? To love others. And especially those that don't love you back. Right? That's what he told us to do. You stay away from sin and your master will keep you close. Right? Because see that's what sin does is it, it, it make it it drops the call to Jesus. It's the static. It gets in the way of our relationship. So Jesus says, if it's a sin, anything and a sin is anything contrary to the nature of God, right? And you know, We know what sin is. We do not have to go over elementary teachings about what is right and wrong. Jesus tells us to love others and to stay away from sin. You do that every single day. That is what our master has commanded us. Right? And also to believe his son died for you and your master gives you eternal life. Guys, Christianity is as simple a concept as it can be. And I think the reason that some people find it hard is just like in my illustration with the boy dying. We cannot wrap our minds around somebody, a a being that made everything, that all we have to do is love others, believe in his son, and stay away from things that get in the way of our relationship. It sounds actually too simple. And if you want to make it real simple, you realize right now that if you do believe those things, you are a slave to Christ. You don't need success. You don't need ambition. You don't need greed. You don't need conceit. You don't need status. Basically, isn't it kind of funny that a slave is above all of those things? Because they have no need of them. While you watch this world struggle and, and claw after all of those things I listed, success, ambition, greed, conceit, status, man, you, you've seen it happen. We don't have to worry about any of that. Because everything that they're working and striving and backbiting and killing each other for, we have something even above that. So we're just gonna merely do our duty and be a slave to Christ. Listen, when I worked in the prison system, I lived in Lubbock. And while the medical facility was waiting to be open because of my experience, I got to go, there was a trustee camp there and I got to take trustees out in the community and work them because that's what I had done for most of my prison career. And as I was checking off my, uh, checking people out of the trustee camp to go work, I saw this one guy and he was big and his, his skin tone was drastically different than mine, okay? And so we're sitting there and I'm checking names off and I, I just see him smiling and he's looking at me, big dude. And so when he finally gets up to me, now I have a name tag on that says Weatherby, right? He hands me his ID and his last name is Weatherby. Spelled exactly the same way. And he's grinning from ear to ear. And I said, huh, get out there, Weatherby, go to work. That's all I said. But here's the deal. I had already, as soon as I saw that ID card, see, the only granddad I ever knew was a racist son of a gun. He was I mean, just flat out racist, racist. And most of my friends are not Caucasian. Okay. I grew up where there was only 15% of the population was Caucasian. And um, so I could not wait to get back to Big Lake, Texas, and just rub that in my granddad's eyes that I met a black inmate with the last name of Weatherby. I just knew it was going to send him into orbit. You would have thought that I was the second coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He was like, he's a bitter old man, right? Just mean, he came alive like a little schoolgirl. He was you know, pirouetting and buying people ice cream. And here's why. He said that after the Civil War, when the slaves were released, most of these slaves did not have last names. But if their master was good, they took their last name. Okay? Okay. Our master is good. Our master is good. No, God does not owe us anything. Yet in our master's goodness, we are blessed every single day merely for doing our duty. What else should we ask for? The slave becomes the heir. The slave is adopted by the king of kings and the lord of lords. The slave is told at the end of his duty, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in and partake of everything that I want to give you. The slave is made an ambassador for Christ. The slave is given a seat of honor at the wedding feast. The slave is given eternal rest and reward. Not just for a little while, but for all time. You do not need to worry. You do not have to strive after the things of this world. We are above that by being below it. And if you, starting today, will, mirror, will say, I am merely a slave of Christ that is doing our duty. It will transform your life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your message. And God, you know what? We're never gonna shy away from the hard things because the hard things is what gets us to you. And God, right now, I just pray that everybody here is of the same mind and thinking, you know what? starting right now? I am going to be a slave to Christ. I am going to wake up in the morning when I know I should get up and I'm going to do the things that God has me do. And I'm not going to worry about anything this or what I get for it. I am just a slave that is merely doing my duty. And God, I just know that by doing that, that one day when you come back to get us, or come back for all of your church, that you will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and partake of everything that I promised you. I pray that for everybody right now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.